Welcome to the official podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse. We'd like to thank you for listening today. We pray this message blesses you and encourages you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Praise God! It is an honor and a privilege to be here with you all in Norwalk, California. I have been looking forward with expectation for several months now. I love you all. I had a great time last year, both in person back in February and also in September remotely. And I am glad to be here a second time in person this evening. Bless God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I don't want to have a long intro. I want to get right into the Word. If you have your Bibles, book of 2 Samuel, chapter 13, and verse number 1. 2 Samuel, chapter 13. I'm going to take you all back to the time of King David. And while we're all getting ready to read this verse, let me say something here. As a traveling minister, I can do what I do because you have a shepherd who preaches here every week. So before I read my opening text, I want to honor the ministry of your pastor and my friend, Brother Bradley. Brother Norwalk is blessed to have you. I'm blessed to be in fellowship with you. Praise God. I never want to fail to give honor where honor is due. 2 Samuel 13 and verse number 1. This verse tells a good old-fashioned Bible story. And it came to pass after this that Absalom the son of David had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. All right. Now look at this first verse here. I confess to you that I have heard this chapter preached before. And normally when someone preaches on this 13th chapter, they'll talk about the story of Tamar and Amnon. But if you read closely, neither Tamar nor Amnon are the first names named. Look closely. What is the very first name named in verse 1? Absalom, right? He is going to be the subject of this first revival service. For a few minutes, I want to preach to you on the Absalom Syndrome. The Absalom Syndrome. Lord, all glory, honor, and praise goes to you. Speak to us. Let us have ears to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I give you credit in advance of what you're about to do and accomplish here among your people in this service. And we all say, in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated in the house of God. Hallelujah. Give one note there. Praise God. Amnon and Tamar were both children of King David. They had the same father, but different mothers. How did that work? Well, David had multiple wives back then in the Old Testament, which, full stop, that's a bad idea, and we don't do that here in Norwalk, California. And the whole church said, I hear you, preacher. I don't want to start this, this revival off wrong, you know. Bless God. Hallelujah. Don't want that going out here. Bless God. All right. So King David, he had multiple children by different mothers. And Amnon and Tamar were half-siblings. They were half-brother and sister. And Amnon had feelings for Tamar. Now, I get how that's a different day, you know, a different time period, a different culture. But all the same, 
They knew that wasn't quite right back then. That was actually against the Old Testament law in that time period. And Amnon, he knew it wasn't right. It was wrong to have feelings for Tamar. But here's the key. He hadn't given in to those feelings. And there is that holy division line. Even if you are drawn by certain urges in your mind, as long as you have not acted, as long as you have not crossed that boundary, then you are still holy. You are still righteous. You are still a son and daughter of Jesus. As long as you have not given in, then you are still where God wants you. And you are still who God wants you to be. In fact, let's talk about this right now. You know, every man is tempted, the Apostle James said, when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Say every man. That's all of us, young and old, male and female. We all are tempted. We all feel these things inside of us. When he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed, the Apostle James said, his own lusts. In English grammar, that's a possessive pronoun. That means the stuff that tempts you. That means your battle is different from my battle and your sister's battle and your brother's battle. We own have our own, we each have our own unique battles to fight, our own warfare battle in the kingdom of God. Your struggle may not be your sister's struggle, but I will not judge their battle or his battle or my battle. This place is a place where our battles are fought and won in Jesus' name. I will not judge my fellow warriors' struggles and warfare battles here in the house of God. I want to pray for them. I want to lock arms with you. I want to intercede for you that God will work on your behalf. Bless God. In fact, Jesus himself was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness by the devil. And the word records Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. Say all points. That means every temptation, all that you have felt, Jesus felt too. Think about that. And he said no. And he set the tone right there. If he said no then I too have the strength in the Spirit of God to say no as well. Amnon was tempted, and so far he was enduring. He was saying no. But in this 13th chapter, in verse 2, he let his mind fixate on this issue. And if I think about something long enough, I'm going to end up doing it. He was so vexed on this temptation that he fell sick. The physical mirrors the mental and the emotional and the spiritual. He got himself sick in his body. And I believe personally there are some individuals that are not sick with an illness of their internals, but they're sick with an illness of their emotional and their mental. And that's okay. And that's also a healing ministry of the apostolic church. I believe in the gift of healing and spiritual gifts. But sometimes your healing is not a body healing, but a mind healing, a soul healing healing, a spirit healing, an emotional healing, and that is a healing too that God has available for you here in these services, bless God. So sometimes we need our mind healed, we need our soul healed, we need our emotions healed, and God is a healer. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, bless God. Hallelujah. So Amnon, his emotions, his mind, his soul was vexed. And it was hard. He thought it hard for him to do anything. He was still holding out. He was still holding himself back. But only barely. 
And that's where I arrive at verse 3. Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. Now, if Jonadab was the son of David's brother, that means King David was Shemaiah's, or it was Jonadab's uncle. That means Amnon was Jonadab's first cousin, if I have my genealogy correct there. They were first cousins, Amnon and Jonadab. They were relatives. They were raised in the palace, most likely, of King David. So they knew each other for years. They were longtime family and friends. And when you grow up together, you know each other's battles, don't you? You realize your brother's secret struggles, don't you? You are aware of their secret battles that perhaps others don't ever see in the light of day. And Jonadab, the word records, was a very subtle man. I underlined that word subtle in my Bible, and I wrote down that means sneaky. I kind of mean that means he was involved in politics. Whole different sermon explaining why, though. So, he was sneaky. He was subtle. He was a man who didn't necessarily go the straight course in issues. And so, Jonadab, he talked Amnon into sinning. Now, why would Jonadab do that? Why would he talk Amnon into sinning? You don't see Jonadab doing all this. That's the character flaw of Jonadabs. They will talk you into things they would never consider for themselves. i got to be careful who I allow to influence me. Psalm 1 and 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Why did God begin the book of Psalms by saying that? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Why does God begin the book of worship, the book of Psalms, with that statement? Well, here's why. If you're going to be a true worshiper of God in spirit and in truth, then there are some voices that don't make the cut. There are some people who have got to go out of your sphere of influence, out of your entourage. They are hindering your worship in God. You've got to edit them out of your conversations out of your influence sphere they have to remove themselves back from you you've got to make a choice for yourself sometimes the most anointed thing you can do is say you know what as for me and my house we're gonna serve the lord whatever they do wherever they go here's where you're gonna go i'm gonna go to my father's house i'm gonna worship god in spirit and in truth i want to be godly I want to follow the course of heaven. If you're going to follow God's will, every voice may not follow where you're going. You might lose some Achans. You might lose some people who don't want to follow all of God's course directions. But whatever they will do, you can receive blessings and you can receive miracles and you can be defended and protected of God. God told Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I want you to be like Abraham. I want you to be like Esther. I want you to have your miracles. Hallelujah. But along the way to receive all that, there will be some things you'll have to say no to. All right. Amnon is a case study into someone who did not say no, all right? He did not say no to sin. And Amnon, he is talked into all this by Jonadab, all right? They lay this trap in this chapter. This trap is laid. He is very subtle. He deceives his sister Tamar. He acts like he's sick. And they go into the king, their father, King David. And they tell David, 
Could you send Tamar, his sister, with some food for him? She knew what his favorite meal was. That was her brother. And so she brings some food to Amnon, Tamar does. And around verse 11, this gets complicated. All right, I will do my best here. He takes hold of her, and he begins to try and do something to her, something very bad. And she pleads with him for several verses. Nay, my brother, do not this folly. What will happen to you, she asks him, you know? Where where will I go? Whither shall I cause my shame to go? As for thee, verse 13, thou shalt be as one of the fools. You're going to be known as a fool. This will get out. Everyone will know what you did. How will you live this down? Don't do this to me. It is a strange day when a sister must beg her own brother not to hurt her in the house of God. It is a strange time period we dwell in when sisters and brothers must plead with each other in the house of God not to hurt each other, not to harm one another. I don't want to hurt somebody here in the house of the Lord. No, this should be a safe place. This should be the spiritual nursery of the babies of God. No one should ever be harmed by brothers and sisters in the body of Jesus. You are welcome here. This is a safe room. You should be able to be nurtured and grow in the Lord. Far be it for anybody in the body of the Lord to ever harm one another. Now, Pastor, I also say that as ministers, we have seen these conversations where someone begs someone else and lays out the argument why they should not do this, why this won't work, how this will go, not like you're thinking. And I've been there, and you've been there, and you've seen the person on the other side of that conversation. No matter what argument and conversation and how much scripture you give them, their flesh has decided they're going to go through with it. Now, we are all tempted. We all have flesh. I preached that already in this sermon. And if you are tempted by something in your life, and you have ever wondered what would happen if you gave in, this next part is for you. Because Amnon was tempted, and Amnon did what we dare not do. Amnon gave in to his secret fleshly temptations. And so if you've ever thought in your head, What would happen if I actually did this? Listen closely to this next part. As soon as he goes through with it, as soon as he does the deed, in verse 15, the next event, the word says that Amnon hated her exceedingly. Say hate. He becomes a man filled with hatred. I wonder if he hated Tamar or did he hate himself? And every time he saw her, he saw what he had done to her. He crossed the line. He did the deed. And now never again could he be the man that was innocent and the man that was just and the man that was pure and the man that was trusted by his family. He could not unring that bell. He could not go back to the man he once was. There could be souls here in this room tonight who are deciding a similar decision. You are wrestling back and forth like Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And you have a choice. Will I do this or will I keep the course of the Lord? Will I be a son of God or be drawn away by my flesh here in the house of God? What will I do? How will I decide? What will I be? What will I choose? 
Amnon, when he goes through with this, he hates himself. He sees what he does, and he sends her away. Get out of my sight. And she leaves. This girl is in pieces. This girl is a mess. And she walks out just sobbing, and people can see something is wrong with her. And Tamar, she had a garment of diverse colors upon her in verse 18. You know, this garment of diverse colors she had that her, her father gave her, this reminds me of the story of Joseph, the coat of many colors, you know. They had the book of Genesis back then, all right? Do you think that story in Genesis of Joseph's coat of many colors, do you think that story could have been her favorite Bible story? Perhaps her father gave her that garment of diverse colors in honor of that story. Perhaps she loved to hear her father, King David, tell her that story. And every time he told her that story, perhaps she went back to the days when she was on her dad's lap, a little girl there in the palace being raised by her father. But once she has had this innocence stolen away from her, she is not the same young lady she once was. And in verse 19, Tamar put ashes on her head and she rends that garment of diverse colors symbolizing her identity is forever changed. And this is where I arrive at the main figure now I'm preaching about. In verse 20, Absalom comes on this scene. Now, Absalom and Tamar are full-blood brother and sister. They have the same father and mother. And Absalom comes upon his sister Tamar. And his first question he asks her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? Wait a minute. This is not the obvious question to ask right here. That is not what I would have asked. And you would have asked. We would have asked, what thief, what violent criminal stole into the palace and did this to you? Which one of the guards or the soldiers leaving behind their duties of their job did this and grabbed you and took away your, your innocence from you? Which man that has violence in his history and his past has done this act, this guilty crime to my dear sister Tamar? Why did he say, has Amnon my brother been with thee? Because he knew. Because they all knew. They had seen Amnon looking at her. And they knew he was drawn. They knew he was tempted. They knew what he was wrestling with. And what did they do about it? They let Tamar go alone to her brother Amnon's room. They let her go by herself, unguarded, vulnerable to someone grabbing her and doing this. Why didn't they go with her? Why didn't Absalom go with her if he knew about this? Perhaps he thought, it's not his problem. Perhaps he thought to himself, am I my sister's keeper? Yes, you are your brother's keeper, Cain. Yes, you are your sister's keeper, Absalom. Yes, you are the keeper of your brothers and your sisters. Yes, you are the guardians of everybody in this house. Which, time out. There is a verse in Galatians. 
Bear ye one another's burdens. Have you heard that verse before? You are commanded to bear each other's burdens. The phrase praise ye the Lord is a command in verbiage in English, all right? That is a command to bear each other's burdens. You are commanded to be the burden bearer of your brother and your sister. It is not an option in a multiple choice quiz. You are commanded to bear each other's burdens. And you prayed that prayer at home before. This burden is too much for me to bear. What will I do brother and sister that is why God brought you this evening to revival service to where all of your burden bearers are your church family the house of God your fellow warriors the army of the Lord these are your burden bearers these are the help sent to you by God so dear sisters and brothers this is the place where God relieves my burdens. We are commanded by God to help one another. Absalom didn't go with her. And she got, well, she got violently acted upon. And now King David heard about it. And he was mad. And Absalom was mad. Everybody was mad about this. And in verse 22, Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon. Say hated. And that is where Absalom jumped off of God's alignment. See, Absalom was mad. It is not a sin to be mad. You are not sinning if you're angry. But be ye angry and sin not. You've heard that verse. I take it. All right. It is not a sin to be angry. But what do you do with your anger? Where do you go? What do people know about you when you're mad? What do you say? How do you pray when you're upset at somebody else? Who do you become when you feel like you are justified in being upset at a sister and a brother? Do you still keep holiness and righteousness? Do you still keep your godliness there in that moment when someone cuts you off in traffic? Do you still keep your Christianity when life does not go well for you? Will you still be a son and a daughter of the Lord on high, even when the day is going off? Now Absalom, he hated Amnon there, and he felt he had the right but it's not a conversation about rights. You see, Absalom was right to be mad. And Amnon had done wrong. And Tamar had been wronged. But it's there in that crucible of life that the enemy tries to change your heart. For two years, Tamar lived at her brother Absalom's house. And every day when Absalom walked by Tamar, there was only one thought in that Absalom brain. I hate Amnon because of what he did to my sister. I want to kill that man for what he has done. That was all he thought about for two whole years. And after two years, Absalom has this big party for all of his family, his siblings, all right? And Amnon comes to this celebration he has. And in verse 28, Absalom had given some instructions to his servants. 
He told his servants, commanded them, telling them, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. Now, this is not my subject matter for the evening, but even in the Old Testament, drinking of wine was discouraged back then, all right? Wine was a mocker, strong drink is raging, whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Those are the words of King Solomon in Proverbs. They knew getting drunk was wrong even in the Old Testament, so why was Amnon getting drunk with wine? Well, was he drinking away his problems? Was he feeling condemnation? Was he feeling guilty about what he did? Every time Amnon went to a family meeting, he would see Absalom just staring at him, and he couldn't look at his brother. And he thought to himself, probably, I hate myself. I hate what I did. I hate what I have become. Maybe God was convicting that man, Amnon. Maybe he was only this close to the altar of repentance. Maybe he was only a few days away from offering that sin offering, that trespass offering, getting his heart back right with God. Maybe he was this close to changing his entire future course. Maybe he was only this far away from God altering that man's destiny and making him once more acceptable in God's eyes. See, this is the problem with killing a brother. When I kill a brother, I kill the restoration. I kill the possibility of repentance. That is why I must put down the javelins, King Saul. That's why i got to put down the knives of death, Absalom. I can't allow a brother-killing spirit to ever get in my heart or in my soul or in my mind. I've got to to end the Absalom syndrome tonight. I have got to stop the snowball and the avalanche of hatred and anger while I can, while I have this opportunity. I want to get myself to the altar. I want to be a man filled with joy once again. I got to get that poison out of my system because it could kill me too. You see, here is where I get my title. I call this sermon the Absalom syndrome. And here it is. Once Absalom killed the first brother, once Absalom killed Amnon, it was a lot easier the next time to kill the next soul and the next soul and the next soul. No, it won't stop with one man or one lady. It'll keep going. Once I decide that I have the power to decide life and death for someone else, I will keep deciding everything about their lives. I become the judge. When I become the judge, I make myself an idol and I unseat the one and only judge of heaven and all there is. There's only one judge and his name is Jehovah God. His name is Jesus. He is the only judge in all the universe. I cannot remove God from his throne of judgment. I cannot make myself my very own idol of judgment and wisdom. No. I set myself down. I humble myself before God's throne. I say, Lord, you are in control and I am not. I had a friend who went to Bible college in Indiana, and they told me they took a a course called Christian Worldview. And the first day of that course called Christian Worldview, the teacher said there is only one basic crux of a Christian worldview. God is God, and we're not. All right? There is the Christian worldview right there. God is God, and we're not. Everything else just flows from that one fact. All right?
when Absalom killed the first brother, Amnon, wasn't too long after that that he attacked his leader, King David. And then he runs David out of town. He goes to war with the man of God himself. And now allow me to read to you something about going to war and killing your brothers. Chapter 18 and verse 7. David tries to avoid conflicts. Everyone gives David a bad rap. David avoided more conflicts than he fought. David avoided fighting Saul. Why? Because Saul was in the family of God. And David would fight the Philistines, but refused to fight his brother. You will fight one or the other, the Philistines or your brother, sin or God's people. What battle line will you choose, dear David? David, he tried to avoid fighting Absalom, but Absalom wouldn't have it. He found David, his father, and went to war with him. Now David, in all likelihood, only had himself and the mighty men. And Absalom had the army of Israel, which in the book of Numbers, numbered over 600,000, okay? He had a huge army of Israel versus David and less than 1,000 people. But the odds don't matter when God is on your side. David came out on top. When you're on God's side, don't go by the odds. Fight the fights of God, and you'll be okay. Fight the battle lines of the Lord, and you will survive and be victorious. But in this battle, I read that 20,000 people, 20,000 men, lost their lives. These were Israelites. These were brothers in this battle of Absalom against David. 20,000 people died, and it all started when one man, Absalom, decided that he had the right to decide life and death for someone else. It won't stop. It'll keep avalanching. There's just no telling how many heads will roll and how high the body count would be. But pastor, I am justified. I am right in my argument. Let's talk about that for a second here, all right? 1 John 3 and 15. I feel like I am right to hate that person. What does the Bible say about that? Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. If I hate my brother, I am not saved. If I hate somebody in the body of the Lord, I ain't making heaven my home. I am not bound for glory. The hatred must end. The poison must get out of my system. Hatred is a poison that I drink that kills me and not that fellow over there. It's the poison that kills us. I am dying of the poison of my own hatred. And tonight it is time for a Holy Ghost antidote. It is time for God, the great healer, to relieve us of all that. The great physician is calling all of us. That great healer on high is calling you and calling me to leave behind that poison of our hatred. And now the craziest part of this whole story. 2 Samuel 15 and verse 16. David left town. He left his house in the care of ten concubines, which we also don't do the concubine here in 2021, all right? We don't do that here either in, in Norwalk, California, all right? David had ten concubines he left his home for. And when Absalom arrived in the city of David, he saw these ten ladies in David's home and everything like that. And Absalom asked his advisors in the next chapter, what should I do now? after he arrived and took over David's palace. And his advisor named 
Ahithophel told him the strangest thing. Go in unto thy father's concubines, which he has left to keep the house. That is the strangest advice, and he does it in verse 22. They spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now wait just one Holy Ghost minute here. I thought Absalom's whole morality, his whole ethical system, was built on one principle. Amnon forced Tamar, therefore I can kill Amnon. That was his moral system right there in one sentence. Except now, what Amnon did one time in private, Absalom does ten times with David's ten concubines in the sight of all Israel. That is what a brother-killing spirit does to you. It twists you out of shape and makes you into a mockery of the good man you once were. Now you're a cartoon caricature of who you should have been. Now you are not the good, innocent fellow that you used to be. Once you decide you can kill your brothers, you'll do anything, even the thing you originally stood against. And what was Absalom's purpose in life? Absalom's name, Ab Shalom in Hebrew. Ab, like Abba, father. And Salom or Shalom in Hebrew means peace. His name in Hebrew means father of peace. That was God's prophetic destiny for Absalom. God wanted him to be a man who fathered peace. And the enemy twisted Absalom out of shape into this man now who killed his brothers and brought the opposite of peace. The enemy's plans will make you the opposite of what God desires you to become. So what do I do? How do I end all of this? As you stand, there's only one answer. Words of Jesus, Matthew 6. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. To end the Absalom syndrome, it ends by only one way. Forgiveness. I have been wronged. You have been wronged. You have been the victims of the hard words and actions of others. But what will that make you, Tamar? What will you become, Absalom? Will I be twisted out of shape into some cartoon caricature of what God truly desired? Or will I not be defined by what they have done to me? I had a different sermon originally all planned for this night. And God changed it on the drive over here this afternoon. And God gave me this heavenly direction for all of us. There are people in this room, I believe, who are hurt. Have you ever heard the phrase that hurt people hurt people? Ever heard that phrase? Let me add to it. Healed people heal people. And forgiven people forgive people. Jesus also said something else. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you give mercy, you will receive mercy. What I sow, I will also reap. You know, that person who hurt you, if they decide who you're going to be, 
if their hurt to you now dominates all your decisions and that person is controlling you and God is not. Now that person who wounded you is now your new God, a false God, an idol that God wants to burn in the fire of the Holy Ghost. So in this night, if you will, I want you to find a place to call out to God right here in this service. Up here, back there, find a place to call out to God right now here all across this room. These altars are open. I want you to come. I want you to obey God. And I want you to give God your all. Give God your heart. Give God your hurt. Let go of everything you have received at the hands of Amnons. They can't be a false God in your life from this day forward. God, I'm putting you on the throne of my life. God, you're going to steer the vessel. God, you are the captain, and I am not. God, I give the impossible. God, I give forgiveness. God, I give mercy. God, I give pardon. What an incredible message. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast, and may God bless you.